listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 269. Nice. <laughs> You're funny. But you know what's not funny, Paige? What? I got interviewed by Los Angeles Magazine. Not sure if it's going to make it to the Los Angeles Times. That's who owns Los Angeles Magazine. And I spent an hour and a half explaining why the gasoline retail fuel prices are so high in California. And a lot of that has to do with the political decisions they made the last 10 or 15 years. Yeah. When they printed the article, they took all the science that I told them out, and they left me a couple of blurbs about how you should buy gasoline from the station that has the most volume because the gas is freshest, right, which is legit, which is true. But come on, don't ask me why gasoline prices are so high in California, and I tell you why. Explain that you're importing oil, that you've made it hard for refineries to grow, and then strip all that stuff out. You're doing a disservice to your readers. If they really want to know why gasoline prices are high, tell the truth. <laughs> but I mean, are you really surprised? Uh, yeah, actually. So normally I wouldn't been. When they reached out to me, I figured this was going to go somewhere left politically. But the young woman that interviewed me, as I explained how the industry works, she kept saying, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I had no idea. I had no idea. And at the end of the conversation, she literally told me that nobody in her entire company, I remember this is the Los Angeles Times, understood how the oil and gas industry worked. Well, duh. Well, so I was hoping that once I explained this in a non-political way, you know, based on facts and science, that they would use it as kind of an eye-opener for their readership. But I was wrong. So just a little disappointed in parts of our news media, unlike us, that rewrite the stories for their own political narratives. It's just wrong. It's wrong, but I'm not surprised. Anyway, let's go on to, like, let's talk about this review we have. Okay. You want to read it? Yeah. Great information. Five stars from Powder River 307. Love your podcast. Y'all need to put your phones on silent. Constant buzzing sound through the broadcast. So first thing, Power Driver 307, thanks for the great five-star review. Don't take this the wrong way. That's on your end, dude, or dudette. <laughs> We're really strict and really focused on the quality of our audio. I know for a fact there's no buzzing sounds and no consistent buzzing sounds. So I suspect it's something on how you're listening to this. And if you're listening through headphones, especially if they're wired headphones, that little buzzing sound is one of the signs that the wires insulation are starting to break loose in the headphones and they're not insulated from each other and it creates a hum. I'm not yeah. sure if that's your problem. Yeah, my stuff's on silent and I'm sitting on it. So it wouldn't even like, well, no, he table. said constant buzzing sound oh. during the podcast, not your phone interrupted. Oh, He's well, assuming that's our phone making the buzzing sound. And I promise you, our audio is pristine. There's no buzzing sound. Emin should take that personally. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, appreciate the Ruth. Thank you. All right, let's get into the news stories. First one is USA condemns mortar attacks on IKR oil infrastructure. Yeah, I mean, the poor Kurdistan region in Iraq, it's just they get no break. And the last couple of weeks, they've been under constant rocket and mortar attacks, and they're specifically targeted at the infrastructure, the oil and gas infrastructure there. What they're doing is ruining their ability to make money, right? And so at some point, you know, I mean, we're there trying to help the Iraqi people, but at some point, the rest of the world needs to step in and go, look, we're going through a world energy crisis right now, like the entire world. And I realize that from a tribal mentality point of view, y'all don't get along, but can y'all make peace long enough so that we can start producing <laughs> energy so the rest of the world is okay? Behave. And, and then after we get everything back to where it should be and life's normal, if y'all want to fight, then you can. Good thing is U.S. is there. They're trying to help. There was no fatalities oh, happened during these attacks. Yeah. But come on, world as a whole, can you quit 
destroying energy infrastructure just for a couple of years and help us get back on track. Yeah. All right. So next one is, will Biden's gasoline tax holiday gain Congress support? I can answer that one right now. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. The whole idea. So what's going on right now with our current political administration is they know they're facing elections coming up soon. They know, and I said this years ago, they know that anytime the prices get too uncomfortable to pump, no matter what political side you're on, nobody's going to vote for your reelection. And so they're doing everything they can to try to appease the public. And this is one of those things. So first thing, depending on where you are in the U.S., at the most, if they stop the federal tax on gasoline, you would drop the price at the pump 20% at the most, more likely like 8 or 10%. The problem is on a large scale, even though it's not a lot of money, On a large scale, that's the money that flows into the coffers of the U.S. government to repair our nation's roads and infrastructure. And so first thing, it wouldn't lower the the price of the pump enough. And I'm sorry, people, because I know you're hurting, but it wouldn't lower it enough to make a difference at all. But it would decrease the amount of money we have to repair and upgrade our infrastructure. You know, the federal tax right now is 18 cents per gallon, right? And then you have the state taxes that are added onto that. So the fact that this was not worked into his most current plan, the fact that you hear neither side talking about this, all you really hear is our, the president himself and his direct staff talking about possibly doing this. It makes no difference. It's basically political fluff, trying to get people to believe that our current administration is doing everything they can to lower the price of the pump. And we know what they need to do <laughs> to lower the price of the pump. And this is not it, right? They have to make it easier and more economical for us to produce. They have to let us transport these hydrocarbons around the country, IKA Keystone Pipeline. And then they have to quit pushing a financial agenda on renewable energy that hurts the common people. So this is just marketing fluff. And unfortunately, people are to suffer are the poorest people in our country. That sounds about right. All right. Speaking of poor, recession talk reigns supreme. Yeah. So this is really interesting. So Tom Singh, who I've actually met, he's at the School of Economics, Energy Economics and Policy at University of Tulsa. They're talking about how some things happened in the last couple of weeks that, number one, bothered me. But number two, are direct reflection on a lot of people's opinion, including my own, unfortunately, that we have a recession heading our way. And I really hope I'm wrong about this. But he's talking about how just the perception of a lower economic growth has already had energy commodities to think the price of crude oil and natural gas lower than it should be. The other thing is, and this was really weird, Paige, and we're going to talk about this, I think, later, but every week the EI releases a petroleum status report and traders and economists and bankers and people like me look every week for that to see what's going on. What's the retail price of gasoline? What's the constraint in refiner? What's the crack spread, right? And it was delayed. Now, the EIA said it was delayed because it had system issues. That's in the realm of possibilities, right? It could literally be legit, but it also coincided with Biden tweeting hey, if you own a retail gas station, you need to lower prices. We're in a time of war. I really hope I'm wrong about this, but that was a big market surprise. And not seeing the weekly petroleum status report come out would allow people that normally follow stuff to not see that retail gasoline was getting ready to head toward a drop. So when President Biden sent that tweet, it didn't cause the prices to drop. They knew the prices would drop, and he sent a tweet. And what I'm hoping and praying is that somebody didn't say, let's delay this report so the American public doesn't pick up what just happened. Ooh, that's sus. And, and, and like I said, I have no proof of that. I'm hope I'm wrong, but this is just a strange set of coincidences all built around our current administration's almost ignoring the fact that we have a recession heading our way and they have a lot 
to do with causing it and they have a lot to do with being able to slow it down or stop it. And like I said, I have no proof of this. I'm hoping wrong. It's just strange set of coincidence. And for the people out there that don't like me talking politics, I'm sorry. This is important to our industry right now. If things are going the other way, if our current administration was helping us streamline this process and solve this world energy policy, I'd be the first one clapping on the back. So, like I said, I really hope that I'm wrong about a recession heading our way. With OGGN, we're actually changing our business a little bit just in case there is a recession to protect us. I see a lot of other companies, especially the big tech companies, doing the same thing. Yeah. So, we'll, we'll keep an eye on this, but just strange set of circumstances. Yep. Hmm. Seems like a pattern. Anyway, next article, federal offshore oil and gas auctions could be limited to Gulf of Mexico. I think we're going to talk about this a little bit later, too. But it used to be that the federal auctions included everything, offshore Alaska, offshore East Coast, not really so much the West Coast, unfortunately, in the Gulf of Mexico. And it looks like they're looking really hard to limit the offshore leases to just the Gulf of Mexico. And then unfortunately, I think the way that's going to be handled is once again going to be a political, I hate to say it, but a trick to the American public. But, you know, it was interesting that you know, our current administration campaigned really hard about stopping drilling on federal lands. Look what happened. (laughs) And you don't even have to stop the drilling. You know, if the leadership of this country says they're going to do that, the companies that would invest in that are going, I'm not investing that. It's too much a risk, too much a financial risk, right? And so, you know, managing our public lands, both to protect the environment, for the wildlife that's present, for the places where there's indigenous tribes, the government should do that. But it should not do that in a way that hurts the American people. Drilling for hydrocarbons or producing oil and gas on federal land has been done for over 100 years. Yes, we've had accidents, but it's very rare. And when we have an accident, we clean it up, we fix it, you know? So this is just, you know, if they're going to limit it to just the Gulf of Mexico, which is going to constrain, once again, the amount of hydrocarbons we can produce, which is going to extend this energy shortage that we're in, that's not good. And unfortunately, and I really hope I'm wrong about this too, I think it's going to get worse. Uh, okay. UK ready to pay companies to cut electricity consumption. Well, was I just saying about a national, I mean, a global energy shortage? Mm-hmm. So it's so bad. And this is really interesting. So I dug in this a little bit and I got it. So right now, Europe is suffering just like we are. The U.S. is like the world is from energy shortage. But this is the middle of the summer. It's not bad yet. What they're worried about is this winter. And then more importantly, they're worried about next winter. They know they're not going to have enough gas and electricity to keep everybody warm in Europe this winter. They're going to have to cut some people off. Some This is their one of the ways they're trying to approach this, that they're asking big companies that use a lot of electricity, if we pay you basically $121 per megawatt hour that you reduce, will you reduce your consumption so there's stuff left over so people can keep their homes warm, right? Yeah. But when you, when you when I map this out over the next 36 months, so it's not going to be this winter in Europe. Next winter, it's going to be 15 times worse. So typically, Europe stocks up on natural gas and produces as much electricity from coal and nuclear as they can heading into the winter, which is their peak season. Same way we do in Texas. But in Texas, our summer seasons, we have the peak demand. Well, the stockpiles of natural gas are lower than they should be, which means they're going to run out of gas right toward the end of winter. But when next winter comes, if they can't replace that gas, they're going to have no gas. Yeah. And a lot of electricity is also produced from natural gas. So, you know, you got the North Sea right there. It produces tons and tons of gas. But once again, for environmental reasons, you know, companies and countries have decided to not necessarily bring that natural gas to the UK and it gets sold other places. So UK (sighs) then relies on Russian gas, even though they have it not in their backyard, but awful close in their backyard. Same way with our ability to produce LNG and get it exported to Europe. We have the gas, 
that we could really help here if all of the politicians on both sides, so not just here, but in Europe, would get out of the way and let us build infrastructure, regasification plants, offloading terminals. We have the LNG terminals now being built. We could start supplying Europe with cheap, reliable, abundant gas, disconnect them completely from Russia, but it's not going to happen. And so we're in this world of energy poverty, and it's so bad that the government of the UK is offering to pay companies not to use too much electricity and page. They're also putting in place laws in the actual mechanical parts. So if it gets really bad, they can cut off the two interconnections to mainland Europe under emergency plan. Oh, my God. Just to keep Britain warm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So people, y'all hear me talk about this and y'all think it's academia and it's theory. We're living in it. It's going to get worse before it gets better. And my hearts and prayers are out there, everybody out there. Let's just keep everybody fed and warm. And like I said, if we can get all our politicians to just kind of understand what's going on we can fix this globally this is bad it's gonna get worse before it gets better we're gonna be in history books yo yep all right so new regulations in permian could deter drilling all right so i read through this and had to stop three times (laughs) why (laughs) well we're gonna get to why this is kind of funny now but this is the epa looking at parts of permian basin and saying they're violating the federal air quality standards for ozone so they want to limit hydrocarbon reduction because the ozone level is too high Mm-hmm. Let me tell you the problem with that. Mm-hmm. Do you know what protects this planet from ultraviolet radiation? The ozone. Do you know where, how ozone is made? No. Naturally. It's a combination of that same ultraviolet radiation interacting with the oxygen molecule. And if I remember chemistry right, it basically lumps three oxygen molecules together. And now you have ozone. Ozone is a natural product of this planet interacting with the solar system. And people know hate mail. I know ozone is also part of pollution, but it's typically when that ozone's at ground level and attaches some particulate. Ozone is like Clorox in the air. It oxidizes everything, right? Mm -hmm. So you can keep stuff really clean. And it keeps stuff so clean that if you breathe too much of it, it's not good for you. Just like it's not good for you to breathe in too much chlorine, right? Clorox. Well, after reading through this, there is no mention of how the EPAs could differentiate between the natural ozone that is made and the man-made ozone, which, by the way, is just ridiculous. I mean, even having this conversation is ridiculous. They're saying that the ozone production in the Permian gets above health standards or not health standards, against their standards every summer. EPA, duh, there's more ultraviolet radiation. There's more sunlight during the summer. So, of course, you can have more ozone being made. And if you've been out to the Permian, there's not a lot of cloud cover, right? That ultraviolet radiation reaches closer to the ground, which then produces ozone closer to the ground. So this, this is all based on... I don't know what this is based on, quite frankly, but (laughs) it's not based upon science or understanding, you know, organic chemistry at all. Not to mention the way they're measuring this makes no sense to me because I can see no baseline. They're basically picking an imaginary point and saying, oh, look, it's above this level. So let's see if we can lower it by reducing the production of hydrocarbons. Then my next question is, how did you tie EPA, the production of hydrocarbons, to ozone? Like, you don't show me how those two are connected. For all you know, it's other reasons that there's more ozone there. So this is just... No, Mark, everything is the oil and gas industry's fault, period. (sighs) This is just... But there's great news coming about this. So let's keep going. Okay. Okay. Oh, the next one. Yeah, that'll do it. Supreme Court curbs EPA's power to limit greenhouse gas emissions. So the Supreme Court looked at all this and goes, hey, EPA... You have stepped so far out of your sandbox, we're going to pat you on the butt, and we're going to put you back in your sandbox, and don't you climb out of it again. (laughs) So the Supreme Court has said, EPA, you're doing things that make no sense, that's based on the current political administration's views, that's based on science that's not proven, that doesn't follow the standard scientific method. And so 
every justice basically said, you stepped out of your sandbox, you got to quit doing this, and they've reduced, they've taken back their power to enforce a lot of this stuff. This is what has been needed for a long time. I've been talking about this for years. You know, our last administration really took the teeth out of the EPA, and I loved it, and it made this country and basically this world a better place for a while. It reduced costs and increases the production of food. It was just awesome. Well, now the EPA is coming back with under a current administration, gave them their teeth back, and it took the highest justice in the land to go, no, that's wrong, and push them back in their sandbox. So you know what, EPA? You did this to yourself. You deserve it. This is where you need to play. You need to worry about protecting the environment. You not need to worry about what political and people that aren't basing their views on science think what may happen in the future. Well, Boom. Well, at least they made a good decision about something. Anyway, Bezos slams Biden over call for a lowering of gas prices. This is interesting. Do you know how bad you have to be <laughs> <laughs> for Jeff Bezos to come out and say, you have no idea how business works? You know, that it's, it's either straight ahead misdirection or deep misunderstanding of basic market dynamics, which is exactly what it is. So basically, Biden, and you know it wasn't him. It was one of his people, one of his interns. Oh, or he doesn't, yeah. know, like he, I say, all the time, he doesn't know where he is half the time anyway. But anyway, his tweet said, this is a time of war and global peril. Bring down the price you're charging the pump to reflect the cost you're paying for the product and do it now. Most idiotic thing, and for me to say the most idiotic thing, because, you know, our last administration said a lot of idiotic things, oh, right? Oh, I just, I had blocked him. <laughs> but for this to come out of the leader of the free world's, you know, mouth, or in this case, fingers, right? Whoever typed this message Someone else typed it for him. This is just idiotic. And it's horrible that our current administration doesn't even understand, forget the fact they don't understand the oil and gas industry or, or energy. They don't understand basic economics. And I'm pretty sure that understanding the economy is sort of important when you run a country. Probably. Yeah. I so, don't know. so when Jeff Bezos calls you out, that is really bad. But you know what? Hats off for him for doing it. You know, he probably caught tons of political flack. Now, he is Jeff Bezos, right? But- I know. I can't stop singing the song in my head by Bo Burnham from his <laughs> comedy special, Inside. It was so good. I'll have to show you later, but it's a hysterical. Maybe we'll put a link in the show notes so people can listen to it. Yeah. Anyway, President Biden, listen to Jeff. He knows a little thing about two out running business. Yeah, I think so. All right. Oil tumbles amid recession fears. Yeah, we talked about this earlier. Now, when they say it tumbled, it's still $100 a barrel, which is good. But you're seeing, so you're not only seeing the Federal Reserve raises interest rates, which the reason they're doing that is they're trying to slow down the pending recession, but you're seeing international banks also raise their interest rates much more aggressively than, than we did. And then some of OPEC is actually going up on its rates, the price they're selling hydrocarbons to like Asia Pacific. And so what's happening is the world, as we're coming out the pandemic and as commuter driving and commercial air flight and cargo ships, all consumption of hydrocarbons go up, we have a couple of things that they're coming at us that the people that understand economics, (laughs) 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 I'm not going to go there, but are a little worried about including myself. So first thing is we have monkeypox. I'm not worried about it, but it is the perception of it is real in the market. Right. The resurgence of different variants of COVID. Once again, I'm not personally worried about it at all, but it does, the perception does affect the market. And so, you know, these things all coming together is going to hurt those countries that depend on exporting oil for their revenue. And so, what everybody's worried about is our economy, the global economy was picking back up after the pandemic and was actually headed in a really good way. And a lot of us believe that's going to slow down and we're going to have a recession. And and once again, I hope I'm wrong about this, 
But if you look at what some of these big banks are doing, they're not looking at it as a mild recession. They're looking at it as maybe the recession of the lifetime. If you basically almost look like the Great they, Depression. Yes, if you look at it at, at what, oh, uh, what they're doing economically. So you know, I'm hoping, pray we don't have a, another global economic shutdown. I don't know how many companies could survive another hit like that after coming out of COVID. But with all that said, people, if we are headed to recession and you work in the oil and gas industry, we're on a ten-year bull run. We're going to be fine. In fact, we're going to be great. We're going to be right. making money. There's going to be jobs. But unfortunately, the rest of the world, not so much so. So let's we're going to keep a real close eye on this. Okay. All right. So next, BLM announces lease sale results. This is really interesting. So Bureau of Land Management, they're the ones that regulate the federal leases. Onshore. Onshore. And it's really interesting at where parcels were leased out that were snapped up and where parcels were put up to lease that nobody wanted it. So basically what's hot right now is still the Permian, North Dakota. So any states that had leases that still touched the Permian and up in North Dakota, they did really well. And then states that had other less developed basins didn't do so well. And that tells me once again, that even on land, the oil and gas industry is worried about the political shuffling that's going on right now, right? We need to increase production. We need to have more leases. At the same time, I'm not going to snap up a lease that's marginal. What page you made a face? So the beginning, not to get political, but we have to here. Wasn't one of Biden's campaign promises not to lease anything on onshore? That's what he ran on. Yeah. 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 And so, so that's why I'm over here like, wait a minute. Yeah. So once again, this is happening so that our current administration, number one, can say, look what we're doing. But most people don't understand that even if you get a water lease, you're not going to produce oil that next day. It's going to be a year at the early. Well, it depends. If it's onshore, I mean, we could go into production maybe in a month, month and a half, something like that. That's just based off my experience. So, well, so yes. But production, the refinery well, and all that other stuff. Well, so, yes. That. But once yes. you get the federal lease, then you got to clear all the environmental stuff, all the construction, the grubbing of the pad building the access road, finding access to the pipeline, or building tanks. Oh, yeah, tanks. no, the planning part takes forever. Yeah. So it, it's what I don't want the public, if you're listening here and you're not real familiar with the oil and gas industry, what I don't want you to walk away from here thinking is that because the federal government allowed these leases to go through, that now oil and gas companies can produce oil from those leases the next day. It's about a year from the time you get the federal lease approved until you get all the other permitting, all the other construction done. And you can yeah. shorten that up, but it's definitely not the next day. Yeah, no, no. Absolutely not. But it, yeah. it was the other thing that's interesting. This is, you know, we talked months ago how the government is going up on its lease rate to 18.75%. These are the first ones in history that have been leased at that rate. So that's telling me, once again, that the mm. oil and gas industry still believes it can make money, even mm. though the federal government's mm. taking a bigger cut, which is good. Right, 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 right. All right, on to sad news OPEC Secretary General passes away. You know, I'm not a fan of OPEC, right? Oh, I had no idea why. <laughs> So this guy is OPEC Secretary General General Mohammed Sansui Barkodou. Barkindio? Um, passed away Tuesdays from Nigeria. He was one of the people I really respected. He's done a lot of change, pushed back against a lot of internal and external political, I guess, power that didn't necessarily agree with him. And he seemed to mostly always try to do the right thing. So, you know, our prayers go out to him and his family. He was one of the good guys in an organization that I don't think has a lot of good guys in it. But he was very good at navigating some of the really hard times for OPEC and making sure that he remembered the people that he represented, it, not just the oil cartel. Yeah. So, you know, prayers out to him and his family. 
And his replacement actually, I don't think has been named yet. It's going to be interesting to see who they replace him with. That actually should be happening pretty soon. So we'll keep an eye on this as well. Okay. All right. Oh, Chevron right-sizing to be a boon for Houston. Yeah, so it's a shame. So the Chevron campus, their corporate headquarters in San Ramon, California, been there a gazillion times. One of the most beautiful campuses I've ever been to. It's right next to a little town called Pleasanton that almost makes you feel like you're in a science fiction movie because everybody literally is pleasant. It's so nice. <laughs> like, like how can you have a whole little town of people that are this nice that everybody's just, everybody waves? Wasn't there you know? a movie called Pleasantville? Maybe. I wonder if it was. Um, I think it was like, I don't know. It's pretty old. Shoot, now I have to go see if, if somebody took my idea. But anyway, love that campus. And so what's happened with Chevron, is, and if you look at every other oil and gas large corporation, it just makes no sense economically for them to maintain corporate headquarters. And not just oil and gas, but a lot of large corporations in California. The political climate and the business climate are not the best for businesses. And so businesses have a choice, and they can move their headquarters if it makes more fiscal sense, which is what almost every large business has done in California, and unfortunately, including Chevron. Chevron has started moving their people back here to Houston probably 15 years ago. So most of the people that do a lot of the work have been in Houston for a while. And now what they're doing is they're closing down the campus. They're open a very small office, and they're asking their people to relocate to Houston. If they do, they'll go ahead and pay for it, which then is going to keep housing prices up here in Houston. We're sorry about the heat, guys. <laughs> yeah, we are sorry about the heat. <laughs> but I mean, this is a good thing. And I welcome you know, all the Chevron people that are moving. If you're listening to this, and I'm being very sincere, and you're a little worried about coming to Houston, reach out to me personally. I literally have known you as a company for 25 years. And, you know, a quick phone call to show you what's the good parts of town. Or, or even show up to our industry mixers at the end of the month. Yeah, or show up to our industry mixers. You know, it's just I have a warm spot in my heart for Chevron. And I knew this was coming. I am a slightly surprised that they are going to keep any facilities in California. I suspect they probably have some senior leaders that don't want to move. And so I don't blame of, them. Instead of fighting that battle internally, they'll just open an office to just keep them there. The other thing is I learned about this, doing a little bit of research. Is Chevron supports the Houston Food Bank, and they've done it for a long time. Yeah. And the Houston Food Bank recently needed to expand. They had nowhere to expand. Chevron donated 53 acres. That's awesome. That awesome. They could have sold that at a discount. No, they decided just to donate to Houston Food Bank, which is great. The fact that Chevron Heart and Soul is out there helping people, not just their employees, but now the population of Houston that might need help with food is just incredible. So welcome, Chevron. All right. Fire at one arc. Is that how that's pronounced? Yes. Okay, cool. So this is an NGL frack plant. A lot of people misreported that is a gasoline You didn't refinery. even let me finish. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Fire at Wana gas plant forces evacuations, road closures. Thanks, okay. Mark. <laughs> well, like I said, there's a lot of people misreporting this as a gasoline refining, and it's not. It's an NGL, natural gas liquids, where they just break all those molecules off and use them for whatever they need to use them for. This is really a good lesson in how to plan for disasters and how to implement it. So they had this explosion. They lost control for a little while. They evacuate the area. They immediately put people in the area up in hotels. And this was in Medford, Oklahoma. Yeah. They formed a perimeter, their own EMS team went in. Nobody was hurt. Nobody was injured, which is incredible. Thank, yep. thank the Lord. They took control of the blaze and they waited for local fire departments to come in to help them. And then they end up putting it out. Now, this is Sunday that we're recording this. So the last report is this thing has been put out. Nobody's been hurt. And the company's actually extended the stays in the hotels that they're paying for for the people so they can do a clean sweep through all the neighborhoods that are close by that make sure it's really Excellent. safe. Yeah. So this is just the right way to handle something. Like this. Unfortunately, because we're dealing with stuff that's explosive. Yeah. 
accidents happen, right? And they and they're getting better every year. We have less and less accidents. But when you're dealing with something and there's a risk, the most important thing you do is have a plan in place that's actual to mitigate that risk if something bad happens. This is world class right here. So I'm sure they'll see a lot of stuff in the news about this. The truth is, unfortunately, this happened. The best thing is it was handled by a bunch of experts because they had planned for it. So this is really good stuff. Yeah. All right. So rig count, Mark, it is looking good. In the United States, 752 up to Canada is at 175 up nine. That's awesome. Internationally, we're at 824 up seven. Headed in the right direction. I'm telling you. Speaking of the right direction, just go to LinkedIn, look for Oil and Gas Global Network, OGGN, sign up for our page, especially the street team. If you're a street team member, I am so sorry. Twice <laughs> I've <laughs> twice in probably six years, I've asked you to join the street team and nothing happened to it. I still want to do something with y'all. If you want to join the street team on LinkedIn, go ahead and do it. At some point, we're going to use y'all for something that's beneficial, but just haven't gotten around to it. Definitely join the LinkedIn page on, on LinkedIn. Don't Good job. <laughs> anyway, the other thing is First Friday Q&A. If you want to ask a question, go to either oilandgasthisweek.com or OGGN. There's both places you ask a question. If we use your question on the air, you'll get a big shout out. Remember, the goal is not to stump Paige and I. And then the monthly email events newsletter still going out, still big in demand. It's free. There's a link in the show. Sign up for it and you'll get to know where all the events are going, plus some of the cool stuff that only insiders know. And then if you'd like myself or any of our experts, come to your event and do a keynote, bring a live podcast. It's a lot of fun. People love it. Reach out to us. We'd be happy to share the details. Ready to get out of here, Paige? Yep. Remember, folks, do great work. Pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.